everybody. Welcome to another episode of Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Ryan April. And as always, all of our podcasts are available to listen to on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. You can also check out the video versions of our podcasts on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, if you have any comments or whatever, please throw them down in the uh, comments below if you have any questions about this. Or if you want to reach out to me, you can re- find me at uh, youtube.com slash comedybrian, facebook.com slash comedybrian. And three times a week, I live stream uh, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash comedybrian. So come in, ask me some questions, and come hang out. We'll have a good time. Anyway, today's guest uh, is uh, very, very funny. Uh, he has been on um, Last Comic Standing. He has been on Dry Bar Comedy. He performs all over the country. Uh, very, very funny man. So we're going to bring in the one, the only, Mr. Joey Aiello. Joey! Hey, how you doing? Thanks, I'm Brian. Doing well, Thanks man. for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, what I love uh, about uh, your act is you are extremely physical. You are, like, over-the-top physical, and... Uh, I love that. I absolutely love that. That always makes me laugh. And you are so committed to your performances and your uh, your material. And it's just one of the things, you know, I haven't seen, uh, we haven't done many shows in person, but the, the few that we've done, uh, like I said, I just saw your physicality. And uh, it's just one of my favorite things uh, about you as a performer. So, Well, thank you. That's a huge compliment. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. So, uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, you. What what inspired you to start uh, performing? Well, I grew up in uh, an, a really interesting family. My father loved comedy. Um, he wasn't a comedian per se, but he was a he he became a professional clown. <laughs> <laughs> People are so scared of clowns nowadays, but he mm-hmm. uh, he was very funny. I mean, um, he was Italian. He, he kind of, he reminded me of Costello so much. I mean, uh, he looked a lot like Jackie Gleason, my father. And he was, um, as a kid, uh, he would perform clowning all the time because he was doing it as a side hustle, uh, because he was a police officer. So my dad was a cop, a clown and a Christian, which is, uh, pretty funny. And, um, and I do jokes about that. I, I, at the time, I didn't think this stuff was funny because as a kid growing up, it was just the norm. You know, like my dad's a clown. Well, what else is he? He's a cop. What else is he? Oh, we right. go to church on Sundays. And uh, so I went my whole childhood. My dad had clown contracts, kind of, kind of, and I didn't know how similar they were until I got into comedy. I mean, he was making some of the same kind of money that, you know, a club comic would make. And uh, and I, I after he had passed away, I, I stumbled upon some of the old clown contracts that he used to have. So I just thought, thought it was really funny. And I, I as a kid growing up, I, I didn't want anything to do with that. I wanted to be a rapper. So I started rapping mm-hmm. <laughs> at age of 11. And uh, my dad didn't like that because he was a police officer. And where we lived, it was rough. And he didn't want me getting caught up in gangs and that. And I was like, I'm white. I can't be in a gang unless, unless I go to prison and I have to only be with white people. So for, for you know, where we lived, it was very kind of the way it is now. It was, it was just, uh, it was it was uh, a lot of crime and a lot of craziness and uh, going on. And he was just concerned that I was going to get caught up in that. But I made a commitment that I, that I would work clean always, it, it, even in my rapping. And so uh, one of my first battle of the rappers when I was 13 years old and uh, I went down, I was, <laughs> I was the only white guy in the whole building. And it was funny because my dad knew where I was going because I'm young, you know, and he wants to know. And he was like, he had a speech with me. He's like, now listen, now if you go down there, uh, you know, you're probably going to lose, but you know, just go down there and give everything you got. But, uh, you know, if you lose, I understand. So it's like he was already calling me a loser before I even had a chance. Mm-hmm. I went down there and I actually won the whole thing. And he had some cops. He had called some cops that he knew that he knew was there for security and told him to, to, to look out for me. And uh, they called him back and said, man, he was he, he killed it. And, <laughs> and so I come home and my dad doesn't know that yet. And he's like, uh, so. Uh, so tell me what happened. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, and I had the money. I won like, uh, I think it was like a hundred dollars. And that was the most money I ever had as a kid. So I was like, I pulled the money out in cash and like flashed it at him. And so that was, you know, I came up with my first album when I was 16. And then um, I, I, I raised, I had people that were investors that believed in me. And, uh, and I, and I just worked really hard. Like that studio that you're sitting in, I, 
I started in studios like that and I wrote songs. Then at about 21, I had a massive stroke and I had to learn to walk again and talk again. It came out of nowhere. I collapsed and cracked my head open on the railing and I was rushed to the hospital and and the doctor said, you know, you you have a rare disease and uh, you'll never perform again. And I was just, I was blown away. And I, and I was just graduated high school. And, you know, my dad's like, give us another prognosis, please. There's got to be another answer. <laughs> and uh, so finally, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to recover from my, my, my thing. I had, I was put on a medicine called Diamox and it made my eyes shut and I was sensitive to light. And so one day I was sitting in the basement and this commercial came on for radio television marketing. And I was like, oh man, I want to do that. And um, I didn't know where it was and it happened to be in Minnesota. So I, 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 I picked up the phone, called him, I applied, I got accepted. Uh, and I moved to Minnesota against my doctor's wishes. They said, man, you're, 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 you're too weak to go up there. And it's cold, cold weather induces an attack. I ended up in the hospital 18 times my first year when I went to Minnesota. And I went to go to college. I'd never been to Minnesota. I didn't know anything about Minnesota. Uh, and I went there and and I, I met this music group. I joined them. I wrote five songs on their album. It was a gospel album. And uh, Cynthia Johnson was on that album. She's the original singer of Funky Town. Won't you take me to? And she was on that album. And Sarah Groves was on that album. And that came out in 2001, right before September 11th. And my my rap album, I spent a year in the studio writing that. That came out that same year. And then 9-11 happens. And um, and it was kind of like what's happening now in COVID. Like everything just changed for me. I couldn't get a booking. And uh, I was just like, oh, I don't know what to do. And when I was in college, this kid wanted to try comedy. And so we went to watch him at a comedy club. And um, he was all right. And... I was at the club. I never thought in a million years that I'd be doing comedy. And then fast forward to, I had this girlfriend and they wanted, I wanted, I thought they wanted me, my band. I was going to put my band back together because I was on my way out of music because it was just too hard on me physically. And this promoter was looking for, she was looking for comics, but I thought she wanted me to do like rap or something. I didn't know. And so she, she put me on the bill as a comedian. And I was like, I'm not a comedian. I'm a rapper. <laughs> and she goes, well, just try it. So I tried it and it was actually really, it was just addicting. I mean, I, I, I wrote, you know, I wrote, uh, so I was a songwriter at 11. So I was writing songs. So then once I, once I realized I was on this as a comedian, I'm like, well, I don't know anything about comedy. So I just started thinking of things that I thought was funny writing them the way I would write a song. And then I got up and performed and it was successful. And then Darren Streblo, you know who that is. Uh, mm -hmm. Brian Duncan was his Christian singer and he was looking for somebody to replace. Darren had canceled and he wanted um, somebody to do the headline spot. <laughs> and, and the lady who booked me for my first show ever, she gives me the audition and Brian Duncan is like it's five hundred dollars okay for thirty minutes. <laughs> this is my second time doing comedy, I mean, and I was so broke. I'm like, yes, that's great. And uh, so I just started writing, and you know, and uh, I bombed that show. That was rough, and that was a wake up call. Like I realized I don't have thirty minutes, and I and I need to take. Uh, well, I'm brand new. You don't, right? have, you you don't, don't have thirty. You don't have thirty minutes in your second show ever. <laughs> right. That's crazy. Exactly. What a thought. Right, right. But, you know, it's 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 what people think, right? They come over from a different art form and they're like, oh, it's got to be similar to this. And that was my wake up call. Like, psh, it's got nothing. So I, I cracked open the city pages in Minneapolis and I'm looking for, well, because I, um, I talked to, to somebody. I think I, I reached out to Darren and he said, well, just go to an open mic, man, because he's from that scene. And I was like, OK. So I open up an open mic and it's a jazz night with Isaac Witte. And I remember I, this is my, my, my first venture into an open mic scene, but it isn't. It's, it's his show and he's at a jazz club. And I walk in and Isaac's on stage and he's counting like the count. He's like, one person leaving. Ah, ah, ah. And, and people are literally leaving his show. I remember I come up to him and I go, is that the way you do comedy? And he goes, he goes, nah, I just wanted a free meal. Because if you really want to learn how to do comedy, go to these 
open mics and try it out and keep working on it. So that's what I did. I started hitting up three open mics every night. And uh, I took the work ethic that I had in writing and in studios and producing my albums. And just I just happened to be in like one of the really good comedy scenes. Minneapolis is amazing. And at that time, I mean, the class that was there was Pete Lee, you know, Tracy Ashley, um, Shelby Oregon, you know. And so I'm the new guy. And I don't get to hang out with those, but I get to watch them. And I'm watching them in there. Nick Swartzen and it's coming to town. And it's just like, wow, because they're all from that area. So a guy who was uh, uh, Mike Brody was, I think it was the first night I went. I just went, I would just go watch. And I was just trying to figure out, well, what's my style? You know, I don't want to be these guys because that's the way I was in rap music. I, I'm trying to be original. I'm not trying to copy somebody but i need to find what my voice is and i remember i had the open mic list at the acme comedy club and i'm just trying because some of the guys didn't speak to me they didn't speak to my style they were really dry because we're in the north you know and i remember i circled the guys names that i liked and when i read them back it was rocky barini uh joe cocazello um nicholas anthony like all italian guys you know? yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it was just what i knew you know and i don't look italian because i look i'm mixed but i grew up around that and i was away from home and i was away from my parents and all that and and this was my new home and i just got immersed in it and i took it really serious and in the first year uh, they had the last comic standing auditions and i auditioned and made it on the first uh first I made it to semifinals on that first year. That was the, f I think, season five. Then came back the next year and made it through like the first round on, on the season six. But I didn't have a, I didn't have an invite. You know, I wasn't mm -hmm. um, right. You weren't you know, picked by the producers beforehand. I was in the line. I spent like almost three days standing out in the cold. You know, and I watched all the comics walk past me, and, and it was me and Nicholas Anthony. And another guy I don't know from Iowa. We were the only three that made it out of the line, in the 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 cut line, you know. Yeah, because the next people, year, yeah, a lot of sorry. people don't realize that uh, on, on these type of shows, you know, you are pre-selected by producers, and um, you go through a casting uh, process beforehand. And when they have these giant cattle calls, uh, it's generally for B-roll, and they don't necessarily, like you said, pull people out of the line. They generally already have that and it's just for footage so it's, mm -hmm. it's rare that uh someone gets pulled from the line to be on the show so yeah and uh so i mean i it was just it was surreal and then um these new comics became family you know i started doing runs with them and just just going to the comedy club every night uh just opened up relationships but you know they don't talk to you right away you know uh, the minneapolis right. comedy scene when i was in had this policy don't talk to the new guys because they're just going to burn out in the first year anyways <laughs> well that, i mean that's that's a real i mean that's a very real thing because yeah. there's so many uh comedians that, that try it because it's a hobby or it's a, a bucket list thing and so you establish these relationships with all these people and then all of a sudden they're gone and they quit and uh, the you know you just keep doing that over years and then eventually you just go okay well let's let's see where they are in you know two years if they're still around then maybe we'll you know maybe yeah. we'll talk to them right so you know that those first those first two years were were great but I mean um, I was relying on some of my performance base and it really didn't click for me until five years in when I realized like how the mechanics of writing jokes work. Like I didn't know. And, 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 and one of the reasons was because, and then I started to question, am I even a comic? Because I, you know, I realized, man, I'm just a performer. I'm an entertainer. And that was tough too, because Acme doesn't want you moving around. They want mm. you standing still and delivering with your material. And uh, so obviously I kind of burnt some bridges on that first year with not so much my, personality or anything off stage but just on stage because i wasn't doing the techniques that that you know i re started to realize man th this club is like a record label and this is a specific thing that they want and when right. you don't do that and you don't know how to do that then you don't have a chance to get signed by them so i mm. i was going there all the time and i wasn't getting on the list because i just wasn't their cup of tea you know 
Right. So then, then, uh, then I had to rely on other clubs that weren't a clubs, you know? And at the time it was like, Hey, if, if, if he doesn't like you, no one will like you. Well, another problem while I was waiting, cause I'm such a go getter, I started running my own rooms. <laughs> yep. Well, that's, and then, I, and then, and then I got hired by club three degrees, which was a Christian club in downtown and it's not far from Acme. And then next thing you know it, now I'm competing. And, um, in a sense. And I didn't realize, I didn't realize that I, I, and, and I really kind of almost hurt myself in the beginning, you know? Mm. Um, and so it, it was a humbling thing, you know? Well, if it, it's weird because if a club's not going to book you and you're not their cup of tea, then, you know, th there's no, you're, you starting your own club or venue or whatever. It's not like you, you bought a brick and mortar store. It's usually, you know, most people, most comics will start out and they'll, They'll get a coffee shop, or they'll get some small little place, and they'll they'll run a couple of nights the here or there, uh, and I think that's a, a good uh, avenue to go if you're away from um, the clubs and you just want to you know get more stage time. It's a great way to get more stage time. It's a great way to network uh, and build your way up. Um, so I, I have a question for you. What is the uh, the best piece of advice that you received uh, about comedy, uh, especially in your early years? So I remember. Um, and, and I was going to say this, I mean, what fell in my lap was, were, wasn't small coffee shops or venues. I mean, I ended up working for the WNBA. I worked, okay. at, I worked at first Avenue or print shop purple rain. Cause our club was the $3 million facility. This Christian club was mm. the biggest club in the United States. And, uh, they hired me to book comedy, you know? And, um, but the hard thing was I would approach headliners like, Hey man, but I'm a new comic. And uh, I'll never forget jo uh, John Bush. Uh, it's a great comic. And he said to me, he's seen me going up to comics and trying to get them to come to my shows. And he's like, look, man, I believe in what you're doing, but they don't know you. And he goes, let's go up to the same person you just approached and watch. And so we go up to that same person. That person like totally blew me off. He comes up and introduces me. And the guy goes, yeah, I'll do your room. And I realized that, man, you've got to have someone bring you in. You know, mm. and it kind of it kind of spoke to the Italian roots. I'm like, what is this, the mafia? Like, <laughs> I know a guy, you know, but it, it really is like that, because in order to get guys to, to work for with you, they have to trust who's recommending you. So he really helped me. He, he, he helped me a lot to, to understand that. But to go back to your question, what was your question again? Just so I can. Cause I uh, what is the best piece of advice you received about comedy? OK, so so then, you know, I. My, my rooms start blowing up and I get this really big show for this radio station. It's like, it's like 1500 people. I'm still new. And I, I ain't going to lie. I never was nervous, but on that particular night, I was very nervous. And Bill Arnold, um, if you ever heard of triple espresso, they, they have their show and they started mm -hmm. in Minneapolis. And Bill Arnold is one of the uh, original creators of that uh, with the original three with Bob Stromberg and that. And I was, he was headlining and I think he sensed that I was nervous, but I really didn't say anything to him. And I just remember him turning to me and go, Hey man, have fun out there. And when he said that, and I walked onto this stage, it just did something for me. It made me forget about how big the crowd was and the pressure of anything. And it just became the motto. Like, you know, if I find myself with anxiety, I, I just that's the best advice I've ever gotten is just have fun out there. It just it, it almost brings why you're doing if you're not having fun doing it, then just stop doing it, because right. if you're not having fun, the crowd's not going to have fun. And so that, was, that simple advice just helped to calm me and allow me to go out there with that, even though I, I knew I wasn't necessarily ready or I knew I was still a couple five years or 10 years. But that that just you know, this is the best I can do right now. So let's have fun with what I got. And maybe the crowd will, you know, I didn't feel like I was trying to rip them off. I just felt like we're going to have fun. This is what we got. Let's do it. And, right. and it was a great set. So, and it's, it's interesting that the crowd will generally mirror whatever energy that you bring. So True. if you're out there and you're having fun, even if you're not the funniest guy, right. They're going to have fun. It's, it's, a uh, it's, it's this weird, uh, psychological thing where they just kind of mirror the the comedian so yeah have, having fun is such great advice because if you're having a good time they're going to enjoy you again even if they're not laughing you know hysterically they're, they're going to probably enjoy you 
So the having fun part and then also what Bush did for me. Mm. Like when you're new, man, wait for someone to introduce you to guys that are more seasoned than you. Because when you when no one knows who you are, you know, there's like there's an amount of credit that needs to be built up. And so and I know that's hard when you feel like, well, I don't know any of these guys. How are they supposed to know me? Well, they'll know you by the work that you're putting into your act and they'll know you by your material. And they're watching Absolutely. you and they see you. And so be right. content in that and know that that actually they do know you. They're just not ready yet to come up to you. <laughs> yeah. Your time is coming, you know. Just Yeah, that's very true. It's, you know, they see you putting in the work and they see you trying and, you know, and they see the consistency and all of that. And, uh, you know, comics watch, uh, comics watch and they all talk. Right. Yeah, we all we all talk. So, right. well, hey, there's this. This uh, this person that's coming up that you should you should check out or whatever really interesting you know so uh, that's really good advice is putting in putting in that work and and uh, being consistent. Um, talking a little more specifically about you and your stand up, uh, what is your writing process like for stand up? So mine's a little different. It was funny. We I was backstage and you had checked in and, and he comes on backstage and I'm like talking to myself and he's like, Joe, are you all right? And uh, I mean, that that was when I started writing songs. I was doing that. I would sing out. My dad used to be like, hey, is everything OK? As long as you're not answering yourself. And um, yeah. I talk it out. I visualize it. I'm a little different than the other guys. The other guys go straight to a pen and paper. Um, I visualize what what the premise is, what I think is funny. And I, and I, and I start on the lines. I, I vision myself talking out the lines of that topic. And I, I just try to come up with so many different angles. Uh, and I just keep talking it out, talking it out until I find a funny line. And that becomes kind of the foundation for the premise and then I start to um, do kind of what I did in rap. You know, a lot of people have a false sense of rap. They, the, the stereotype of rap is that everything has to rhyme. And that's not true. Uh, we, 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 we write what's called bars. And, and in some ways, my style, I write bars. So uh, set up punch. So the last word either needs to be the punchline or it needs to be the, the, the word it would be the same in rap. Like it either be the, the word that rhymes or it's the word that extends the bar so that you stay on beat. And so same thing with comedy. It's either the punchline or it's the thing that it, that keeps the crowd interested to hear another sentence from you. So for me, it's a stick and move kind of like a punch jab. I'm not ready yep. for knockout blow yet, you know? And so that's kind of how I, um, so I come up with the idea and a lot of times with new comics and green comics, they think, oh, this is the joke. And it's not. That's the premise. That's the idea. Now you need now you need to fill it in with the punchlines and the, the talking points and the setups and, and being able to paint, you know, and I, I'm a because I'm a visionary, because I'm a creative type. Um, that's why I don't like to go straight to the paper. I like to go in my mind. And I like to kind of think what the audience is thinking and how I can kind of misdirect them visually, you know, because that's mm -hmm. just the way I am, you know. So well, I don't the, know if that makes sense or that's good yeah. advice. But well, that I mean, means, you know, well, it's all about and I think this is the most important thing um, for, for comedians and even for people who are not um, comedians. Uh, but in regards to other aspects, it's finding what works for you. So there's. You know, there are some people I know that can sit down and have to sit down and write it out by hand. There are some people that are content to write it out, uh, like on on a computer by email. I'm more of a talker, um, so I like to say it out loud first before I write anything down, because I naturally um, start to edit and shape and do things and get the the marbles out of my mouth. And then after I do that like ten times, then I can put it down on paper and do it. So I'm much more like similar to you i like to to say it out loud it comes from all of my stuff t tends to come from emotion um yeah. well, i'm glad so, you brought that up because i don't think you asked that because a lot of people ask me well then how do you come up with these ideas i come up with the ideas that i'm frustrated about that mm -hmm. i'm happy about that i'm excited about any emotional feeling it, it, uh, uh is the premise you know of the, that that conflict that for me, that's, that's the starting point. Like this, this has potential to be good material because it, it stokes either an emotion in me or an emotion in other people, you know? And so 
that that's going to catch people's attention the minute I get on it. And then I, then I could just kind of, you know, weave and go and write it the way I want to write it. But yeah, I always start with emotions or what I call conflict. And then the releases is, is the funny part, you know? Right. Well, I mean, cause if there's no emotion, if you don't care about it emotionally, then why is the audience? Exactly. So- Right, exactly. So, you know, if you, you know, because people, uh, what what some people don't realize, too, is that we say the same joke over and over and over and over and over again, night after night after night. It's not just going up and talking about what happened that day. Right. That's not that's not how it works. Right. Um, you know, I would say for 99% of the comics, 99.9% of the comics, that's not how it works. And so uh, if you write a joke that you don't care about and you have to say it, you know, 300 times, uh, you know, a year, you're going to, it's going to get old and you're not going to deliver it with the, the appropriate passion. So it's going to lose its effectiveness. But if there's something that you're passionate about, you talk about, I think it, it brings out that energy that it, the, the joke requires so that you can tell that joke for, you know, three, four years if you want. So. And that's what helps me write new material. Is that mm-hmm. if, if the premise is so, if I'm boring myself, <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm not doing any favors to the audience. Like if I'm bored, meaning, you know, and, and that's hard for some comics. They get a hit joke. It's like having a hit song. <clears throat> and maybe, maybe they, you know, and you're going to run into that in your career. You're going to get writer's block. You're going to get a drought where you just, you know, because things happen in your personal life that sometimes you just don't feel like being funny. And so you go on autopilot. And you stay on that material you wrote mm-hmm. four years ago and life moves on. And now not only you're bored of doing the same material you've been doing for four years. And, you know, you think the audience is good. You think you're going to have a standing ovation with stuff you wrote. It, it, you know, they always say in our business, keep writing. And that's to keep it fresh. So uh, people ask me sometimes, well, when do I know when to come out with new material? Well, when you're bored of it. <laughs> yep. And if you're not bored of it, you're not doing it enough, you know? Right. So how do you deal with writer's block? You mentioned writer's block. Yeah. I mean, it's a difficult thing. I mean, it's something I struggle with too, you know, especially because we've had a lot of loss in our family and just a lot of, just a lot of crazy stuff at times. And even now, I mean, it's tough. Uh, I think, I think, I think your mental health health is very important. And I think Mm. that you, you need to, you know, sometimes you need to take a break. Um, if you feel so bogged down that you feel that way, um, you, 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 it's so important to take time out uh, and, and find find something else that you can do that will just help clear your mind. For me, you know, I live I live in Branson and we have the lake You know, I started going fishing. I don't even like to fish, but I needed to get away so that I could get my thoughts together and find mm-hmm. that quiet time to be able to be creative again. I think what kills, what causes most writer block is you're just stressed out. You're overwhelmed, got too much in your head and you can't focus on the creative aspect of being funny, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we come to my favorite question uh, that I ask every, every comic and uh, everyone who's watched or listened knows what's coming. Uh, What (laughs) was your worst show ever? Oh man. Well, I have some honorable mentions, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have it, have that. These are these are the things we love. It's nothing is funnier to comics than watching other comics just crash and burn. So, well, I mean, I was running a room, right? So I ran a room in a biker bar, <laughs> and it was a rough. It was literally the. It was called Grumpies. It was in Coon Rapids, and it was literally the extent. It was like. Pee Wee's Great Adventure, where he goes into the bar. He's like, I'm trying to use the phone. Except every night we would start the comedy show, and it was like, I'm trying to tell some jokes. And we had this giant six-foot black guy named Wolf. He was the only uh, biker, you know, that was that big. He had a very, very white type uh, uh, voice. Hey, baby. And he would just heckle you and... He was he was so scary, and uh, there was so many crazy things that happened. I had a, a drunk lady get so drunk, she started uh, being violent at the table, and we had bouncers. And I said, "Ma'am, I'm sorry, but you gotta go." And she she's like, "Let me get one more sip of my beer," and I'm like, "Okay." And I've got the microphone in my hand, 
We're opening the show. She takes a swig of the beer, turns around and spits it in my face. And now I'm covered in beer. And I, I just started the show. I got no clothes to change into. <laughs> I like that she was that drunk that she had to go before the show started. Yes. Yes. That's how wasted these people are. Like, I'm not even exaggerating, man. I mean, this was the, this was the worst possible place to do comedy. It was it was, and I ran this room for over three years. I mean, I had people, they'd be so drunk. They thought I was talking about them. They'd be waiting in the parking lot with a baseball bat. I mean, crazy stuff. Shootings happened, you know. <laughs> I had one comic. They didn't think he was funny. And they had the metal darts on the dartboard. So they took a, a metal dart. And while he was performing, they threw it at him. And it stuck him in his leg. And he was like, ow! <laughs> And then they threw another one and stuck him in his other leg. He's like, oh! And then he's like, I'm done. And I never seen him again. He, I couldn't <laughs> convince him to come to my room. Uh, <laughs> so that that's then that's an honorable mention, you know. But if you're talking okay. about, if you're talking about uh, me, the funniest one was I get a call and they're like, well, we want you to come and perform at the prison. And I'm like, when? Today? I'm like, but I don't have a babysitter. They're like, bring her. Oh, my. <laughs> my baby's like one. She's literally, they say she's the youngest uh, in the prison. And uh, I start getting hecklers, but, you know, the guards kind of move in at them. So then they get quiet. So I, But I forget where I'm at. And I start just, like, going off on the prisoners. <laughs> And they have different colors, like some are orange, some are striped, some are green. And um, I'm, I'm even saying to the one guy, gosh, you're ashy. Look at your elbows. Can someone get him some lotion? And I'm talking to this guy in a suit, like, uh, and while you're at it, give me some water. Is this the way you treat your guests? <laughs> and I'm literally talking to the warden, and I don't even realize it. And... Um, <laughs> It was really funny show though. And what happens is we get done with the show and the prisoners were great and it was a great show. Uh, well, we get done and the guy goes, I go, so what were the colors for? Like what they were wearing, what does that mean? And he goes, well, the section that you were roasting, they're in for attempted murder. <laughs> <laughs> and what was so funny is that one of the prisoners comes up to me and goes, bro, I used to come every week to your comedy show out there in Coon Rapids and Gruppies, and he was one of the orange suits in the attempted murder group. So I thought that was so funny. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you're a fan, you know. Um, so yeah, there was that one. But the worst one was actually at a church. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it was up in Superior, Wisconsin. And um, they were giving out free corn. And it's like everybody showed up for this free corn giveaway. Like they're roasting corn. And it was in the summertime. It's an outdoor event. So it's like the adults brought their kids with. And they're like, get away from me. I'm eating free corn, you know, and, and right. they don't want the, they want their kids to go get up there. That's where the comedy show is going to be. And so they're standing where, like a field away from me. Any potential adult is like a field away. And the guy who goes to introduce, introduce me goes, OK, guys and gals, it's time for comedy. Come on, kids. Come up to the front. <laughs> I've got nobody to bounce any material off of. And I got newborns crawling on my shoes while I'm trying to do a, a, a hour set. I'm headlining this. I had no openers. I had nothing. And that was just, that was brutal, man. That was probably, oh, man. Worst, you know, that's, hours I never had to do. That's funny. Those are, those are some really weird uh Prisons are usually pretty pretty good. Uh, you know, I mean they're they're intimidating, <laughs> yeah. but they're they they can be really they can be really fun shows. Um, so is that the weirdest place? The prison is that the weirdest place you ever performed? No, the weirdest was a barn. <laughs> a barn, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, there was well, the one barn was awesome. I got a picture of it. It was like they redecorated it, and it yeah. just was a really cool vibe. And they had a bar in there, and they had it was just it was awesome. And uh, that was a great gig. But I also did 4-H, and that had the animals in there. And it was like kind of like a county fair, and I'm performing in their stall. <laughs> it just smelled so bad that I was having a hard time finishing my set. But that was weird, you know. But now nah, I've done I've done some what we call hell gigs. Yeah. And, <clears throat> oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's, you know, I wanted to raise the bar when I started. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, give me the hardest stuff you got. Because if I can't overcome this stuff, man, I'm going to be fine. I kind of I kind of enjoy doing the weird location stuff. I, yeah. Even though I know they're going to be terrible, I just right. kind of like the idea that I can say, oh, I did this, you know. So right. I, I've always kind of usually, you know, I don't know about later on in my career so much, but even still, like I, I took one early this year at an airport, you know, which right. I knew was going to be awful, but it was it was so much fun uh, because I can now say I, I performed at an airport, you know, right. and it was it was terrible. It was a terrible show, but uh, so we get all these sort of weird requests, like a lot of people get, you know, hey, come do it in my house, come do it in my backyard, like those sure. are whatever. But you know, there's there were some pretty bizarre ones, so. Uh, question for you then uh since you do a lot of these weird shows and you do you do a ton of shows anyway uh, how do you deal with hecklers well i learned in the beginning you know with my style i i i always like almost welcomed it because i was a battle rapper right so i i viewed it like bring it right but that was mm -hmm. when i got into comedy that was the wrong thing to do because once I went at them and I wasn't, and I really didn't understand at the, you know, in my first year how to really handle a heckler. I remember I was at a, a, a sports bar. I was in my first year. The other guys were more veteran and um, I'm, I'm going at this, this heckler comes at me. I start going at him. He comes back at me. I go at him, but I'm not developed yet. I don't even have, you know, great comebacks, you know? And, uh, I'll never forget when I got off the stage, a guy named Justin Caesar, man, he's, he's brilliant. And he goes, uh, Hey, no one came here to see you guys have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to talk, do it on your own time. You know, I mean, that yeah. was, that was the rawest feedback, you know, and, and in my new comic <clears throat> mind, I'm thinking, what? It was good. No, it wasn't. It was horrible. You took people came for comedy and you allowed this guy to take over your whole set and you didn't get any content out to the crowd. And so one of the things that is better is to just kind of allow the interruption to happen. See if there's something funny you can take from it, but don't let it don't, If you spend too much time on it and you don't have a really good, good punch, that's quality. You're going to let that person totally distract you from what you're, what you're there to do. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I try not to, I try not to engage at all. I, I, Cause it's like, I have, stuff planned that I think is better than you just yelling stuff off the top of your head. Exactly. So, right. So uh, we are, we are currently talking with a comedian, Joey Aiello, a uh, very, very funny comedian. He has a dry bar comedy special out. Uh, you can check it out at drybarcomedy.com slash Joey. I the letter I. So J O E Y I. Um, he also can be found on Facebook, on Instagram, and he has a website, joeyiello.com. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at joeyi.l.o uh, and Facebook at joeyiellocomedy. Uh, <clears throat> so, Joey, um, what advice do you have for new comics? Well, like, learn. <laughs> learn and be patient. Uh, patience is a virtue, man. And, 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 you know, I think a lot of times uh, don't beat yourself up. So many comics beat themselves up because either they feel like they're not moving fast enough. Um, enjoy the process. Again, that's, uh, that's a little, that's almost the same thing as have fun on stage, but also mm -hmm. just enjoy the process. I mean, comedy, especially if you have the talent and, and, and you feel like you're good because there's some guys that feel like, man, I'm funny. I'm funnier than that guy. Well, if you feel that way, then put in the work. And, and if you really are funny, it, your time is going to come. So be, be content in that, be patient in that and get reps. You know, I, there, there's just so many new guys not putting in reps. It's like, complaining that you're not losing weight and you're not, you're not working out. You got to work out. And so right. you like, you know, don't, don't, don't jump ahead. Don't, don't go straight the headliner and you're in your first year, work your way up uh, the way it's supposed to go. You know, MC feature headliner, you know, we got guys that start in their first year and they've only been doing it four years or whatever. And now they're a headliner. Come on, be honest with yourself uh, put in the work and let other people graduate. You don't graduate yourself. You know, mm. I always, um, <clears throat> one of the things I always say, and it, it's along that vein is, uh, be the best, uh, 
be the best comic there is at the level you're at. There so you if go. you're an open micer, be the best open micer. Right. You know, uh, if you if you bump up to, to host, be the best host so that if I start a new show or you start a new show or someone needs a show and they go, man, this first show needs to be amazing. Who is the best, you know, who's the best host in the city? Well, or who's well that's just it. You know, yeah. stay in your lane. You know, I mean, I, I book shows, right? I'm looking for the MC to be an MC. I need somebody that can make announcements and can 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 move in between, you know, uh, you know, take them from zero you know, to get them warmed up and then right. just you know, and, and, and introduce the next guy. You know, don't go over your time. Uh, right. Don't act like you're a headliner when you're not. Don't act like a feature when you're not. And then if you are a feature, you're not the headliner. So warm up, you know, do the, that 30 minute spot. Um, don't try to, you know, check with the headliner, see what kind of material he's doing so that you're not trying to like, because, you know, another thing is don't burn bridges in this business because you can never go back across. And, uh, you know, I know I have, and, uh, uh, it may, I might've done it, not even knowing I did it, but, um, it will take you years to heal those bridges. So, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and every bridge is vital, especially now. <laughs> Absolutely. You need every bridge you can cross, man, because, uh, uh, yeah, it's got yeah, <laughs> Would you say that's one of the biggest mistakes that the comics can make? Very just, much uh, so. Yeah. Very much there, so. uh, and sometimes <clears throat> you'll burn a bridge because of your ignorance. Meaning, mm -hmm. meaning, meaning I, I won't, I can't blame you because maybe it's not your fault. I mean, that's the hard thing about comedy. You know, when you went to go sign up, no one would tell me where to sign up because they wanted me to figure that out. Well, how was I supposed to know I ticked you off? I didn't know. <laughs> so that's why I say, don't beat yourself up. Just learn. You know what I'm saying? Find, find where you feel you can, you can make an impact, you know? And then when you get those opportunities, do what they're asking you to do. And when you're consistent in that, you'll get, you'll graduate to the next step. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that we <clears throat> share in common, and I didn't put this down as a, as a question is uh, we have both spent some time in Branson, Missouri as performers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, for those, <laughs> they always, they always, they don't mention that. Outside. Yeah. No, but um, I, I, uh, you know, people go, uh, whenever I talk about Branson, I go, Oh yeah, I spent, uh, uh, you know, a year in Branson or, you know, three months or summer or whatever in Branson. It makes it sound like I'm doing it. prison. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for those who have no idea what or uh, what Branson is or what it is like, can you just give us a little bit of a, an overview of what Branson is like? Well, I, t I talk about it a little bit in my dry bar special, you know, it's uh, it's like Vegas without the casinos. You got tribute artists. You got a lot of Elvis Presley's uh, it's, you got, um, it's funny when I was a kid, one of my favorite uh, cartoons was Bugs Bunny. And um, it was the one where they sing, spin, uh, spin your partner round and round. And then he unplugged yeah. it and he starts making, you know, hit him in the thing. And what's funny is uh, I was watching that the other day. It was on my YouTube and it says vacation in the Ozarks. And there's the map. This is from like the 1940s. And it shows the Missouri and Arkansas border. And Bugs Bunny, where he's located, and he's basically where we're at. And so this Martin and McCoy character, I mean, so you're you're surrounded by hillbillies. Uh, you're surrounded by Elvises, Johnny Cash's. You, you got lots of magicians. Uh, and then you got comics, but these comics are not comics. They're stealing people's material. They're hacky as all get out. And that's why bookers are like, don't say you're from Branson, Missouri, because now they think you're a hack. Well, I right. came from a great stand-up scene, did well. That's where I started. Then I came to Hackville. But I realized, like, man, there's beautiful theaters here, and who cares what they're doing? I did I did have my own show. I had my own dinner show. I was with Mel Tillis' backup singers, which was weird because I hate country. But but it was awesome because I got to experience, you know, and I and they let me do my act. The girls really believed in me. And they let me do my stand-up. And I was successful, except um, <clears throat> I wanted to go on the road. And I couldn't keep up with their schedule, so I had to step down. But uh, So yeah. I have good standings with them. And, and, and um, we live here. I got two kids and a wife, and we're still here. And then Westgate took a liking to me, and they gave me a full-time job. And so 
I perform for the tourists. And so to me, it's my open mic. It's where I get to develop and continue. Mm -hmm. So with this COVID affecting everything, well, we're in the summer, we're still in our, our, so we get tourists, they'll check in on Monday and they'll leave on Friday. And then the new ones come in on Friday and they leave on Monday. So every time I make an appearance at Westgate every week, I got a new batch of tourists from all over the country. And to me, that's a better open mic than a room full of comics. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's so, a great place to, uh, to, you know, that's a great situation to develop material and, and right. all of that. And Branson will, will harden you. It'll, it'll make your act, it'll toughen you up. It'll make you bulletproof. It's, so, right. you know, I, I did three months there uh, and the, I was in a theater that sat uh, 400 people and the biggest crowd we had was 36 on free ticket night. Yeah. On average, it was single digits. So, right. you know, you, you do an hour to single digits every, uh, six nights a week. You're going to you're going to be OK performing for, for single digits, you know, once in a while out, you know, elsewhere. So, well, and the reason for that was that the, the Branson had a they have a they have a standard on how long their programs are. <laughs> so most shows were two hours. And the least amount they want their shows to go because they high ticket sell them, man. I mean, some of these shows are like 40 bucks. Yeah. So they can't have a show less than 90 minutes. So right. when I first came here, I was expected to do a 90 minute show and it was just me. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I mean, I could do an hour, but man, I yeah. mean, you know, like you said, there'd be times I'd have 40. And one time I had two people, but they paid like $27, whatever yep. it was. And I had to do 90 minutes in front of two people. I'm like, this isn't a show. This is an audition, you know, but hey, right. uh, and it's and it's it's tough. But I'm telling you, it made me stronger as a comic. It was something that that really made me a better performer, you know. Absolutely. It's just one of those rare. Uh, it's one of those rare places that it's 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 a, a different type of crowd. Um the pre-established, like you said, it's Hackville as far as the, the general type, you know, uh, of comedy that is there. So when you come in with a different style of comedy, uh, people aren't necessarily sure of it at, at, at the beginning. And so it, it definitely, um, it was definitely work and it, it's definitely, you know, a, a tough place. Plus, you know, the crazy Elvis impersonators who aspire to be Tony Roy. And if for those of you saying, who's Tony Roy, right. you were correct. Um, so yeah, there it's it's a, a very very bizarre uh, place to play. But again, like you said, you get a great open mic out of it, and in a great place to try it out. New batch of people, which is a lot like performing in Vegas, because in Vegas you don't have locals really going to those. It's always people from around the country, and it's a new group of people every night. Right. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a great uh, uh, situation to keep sharp anyway. Um, so we're we're gonna uh, jump over to um, your your organization in a minute, but before we do that, uh, I just want to see if you had any other funny stories uh, from the audience to tell. Uh, and while you're thinking of that, I'm just gonna say uh, we're talking with Joey Aiello, uh, stand-up comedian. Uh, you can follow him uh, on social media. Uh, check out his website, Joey Aiello. The letters I L O uh, comedy .com. You can find him on Facebook at Joey Aiello Comedy. And on Instagram, he is at Joey I uh, dot L dot O. Um, so uh, he also has a drive bar comedy special, uh, which is Joey uh, drive bar comedy dot com slash Joey I the letter I. So J O E Y I. Uh, be sure and check that out. Uh, watch it, like it, all that sort of stuff. It's a it's a great way to support comics. Check out his um, social media. That's a bit one of the best things you can do for comedians is to, to support a comedian is to follow them on social media because that's the currency by which we are all judged. It's not by so much how funny you are or if you're a nice person. It's about how many followers do you have. So if you like the comedian, uh, the best way you, you can help them, you know, besides money, is um, is to support their, their social media. Uh, so, Joey, um, do you have any interesting uh, or any other weird or funny audience stories that either happened to you or while you were there? Audience stories. Well, it was funny. The fact that we were on Branson, I was going to talk about how uh, I broke the record for myself. I got in two car accidents in one day. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, you know, it's really not an audience story, but the, the group that saved me here in Branson after I got here and realized, oh, my gosh, this is Hackville. I, you know, how am I going to survive here with two people on this week? And then I got 40 people on this week, like the money we get here. And I'm literally basically lost my job within six months. And, and now I'm looking for and we have to do this thing. You you did it when you were here. You go to different breakfast nooks and you promote your show and you go to resorts mm-hmm. and you do what's called a teaser. And that that's for the, the tourists because they just got in town and they want to know what's in town so they can go to it. And you need those tourists to come to your show because that will be your money once they come, if they come. And how they come. If they buy at the box office, more money. If they buy through someone else, you get a dollar. <laughs> so, right. so you want so this is your opportunity to promote. Now, what Branson doesn't realize, this is basically a showcase uh to what I was used to in comedy. So I thought this was very important. Even though I don't get paid, I'm basically auditioning, you know, I don't like the people I'm working for. But I'm like, hey man, I could have a chance someone else sees me and maybe they'll want me. Because I don't know what's in this town. So I go to the first teaser, and you're trying to beat everybody to the teaser because there's 10 other artists. And whoever- well, if, I could, if I could just jump in, uh, the teasers, um, because Branson is a big timeshare uh, place as well. So what uh, some of them would do is they would have their timeshare people come in, and then they, they it was this giant, basically, like you said, open mic night for all of the shows so people could come in and sing songs or whatever, give people a flavor. And there were sometimes there were 300, 400, 500 people at these teasers. So for for me as a comedian, I looked forward to them because even though it was five minutes, it was five minutes of great laughter as opposed to, you know, three people. So I'm sorry, please. So there was a, a desire to do that. So sure. I just wanted to sure. give that you backdrop. Have more people at the teaser than you had at your paid show. Because All you week combined. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was having more fun doing the teasers, but there's no money at the teaser. That's the sad thing. Right. So if you don't have any money at your box office, you don't have any money when you're and you're working like all the time because you're doing like five different teasers, some in the morning, some after your show, you know, and your show. It's crazy. So I go to Wyndham and you're trying to beat because you're working so much that, you know, you don't want to have to wait around at the teaser once you get there to watch five other people perform before you get a chance. It's like going to an open mic and having to wait for 10 guys, you know? Right. So the minute you get there, you you run. If you see another artist, you're running. It's, it's, it's funny. And uh, there's this group called the Redneck Tenors. They're on America's Got Talent. And uh, they're funny guys. And a guy named Matthew Lord. And... Uh, I'm new to the area. It starts raining. I inherited my grandfather's car. The tires were bald. I came into the entrance too fast. I hydroplaned. Bam. Went off the cliff. My car is teetering. I smashed it all up. And here come the redneck tenors to come do the spot behind me. And they see me crashed and they stop their car and they go, hey, are you okay? And I go, I'm fine. And they go, good, we're taking your spot. And boom, they take off. <laughs> <laughs> I go straight. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get my car off the thing. It would have been nice if those guys would have got out. But, you know, nobody owes you anything. So I get it off. And the car, the tire is like a square. And I realize I'm only like a half a mile away from my, my house. And I have another car. It's not a very good working car. But I have another one. And um, because the guys come back and they're leaving out the exit and they stop and they go, are you still all right? And I go, yeah. And they go, good. We're going to the next teaser. We're taking your spot. (laughs) (laughs) And that motivated me. I'm like, no, no, you're not. And I'm like, I'm going to take my car home. And it's like literally going. And I get it home, pick up my new car. And then the adrenaline starts wearing off on me, you know. And I start to feel pain in my leg and I show up to the teaser and there's there's Matthew Lord and the Redneck Tenors, the lead singer. And he's he sees me and he's running and I'm hobbling <laughs> and he beats me to the door and they go on before me. And one of the families look at me and they go, oh, my gosh, your face looks so bad. Like you look so pale. What happened? I said, I just got in a car accident. And they go, well, let me have my son drive your car. 
<clears throat> and then you can ride with us. We'll give you a ride home safely. I said, okay, I probably should do that. So they, they, I'm riding in the mother's van and her son is driving my car, the only good one I got. And she passes my drive and I go, it's right here. She slams on her brake. Here comes her son with my car, loses control and smashes in the back of us. Totals almost both of my cars. This is like the first three weeks of me moving to Branson. Now I got no vehicle. And somehow I caught a ride to the next a teaser the next week because it was like it circulated around town what had happened. And when the rednecks found out that I showed up and was still doing teasers, they offered me to come to their theater and they gave me a spot and they were doing like 500 people a night. Wow. And, uh, and, and they actually helped me get on my feet and they helped me to develop relationships with bigger shows. Wow. That's really cool. Um, uh yeah, it's such a, a bizarre place, but you just never know when you're going to meet uh, the right people. That, I love the fact that you you got into two car accidents. One of them was your car hitting you, uh, yes, in a different car that you weren't in. So I think that's I think that's great. Uh, so we're going to switch gears real quick, and there was a, an organization that you wanted to uh, to spotlight today, and I was wondering if you tell us a little bit about uh, Parenting with Purpose. Yeah, it's not my organization, but I had done a. a Years ago, you know, and you had asked me, is there, a, is there an, a foundation that you'd want to give um, a shout out to? And the, um, you have, yeah, Parenting with Purpose is uh, parentingwithpurpose.org. And um, I did a, I did a, a fundraiser for them years ago. And I, I tried to get a hold of them. Did they let them know that I was going to shout out uh, one of the reasons why I love what they do, they're out of Minneapolis and they work with parents who are incarcerated uh, and the child. So like the ages are five to 25. So maybe their, their, their mm -hmm. mom or dad is in, in jail and they, and, and the kid is either with their grandparents or with, or with foster care or, so, or whatever the situation is. And uh, people sign up to be a mentor to the, to these kids through the organization. And they take the kid, uh, uh, with with the group, they take them camping or they take them fishing or they go on bikes and they become a mentor to that kid. And it, what I love about it is that 100 uh, percent of the kids that have been in their program uh, have not been involved in crime as they've gotten older. Uh, and, and then when the parents get out of jail, they help the parents to get a job. They help them with learning to be a parent, uh, to make up mm -hmm. for lost time. And they really bridge that gap through the trauma of that and to make sure that that, that they can become a family and that they can grow regardless of, of what you've done in the past or whatever. They, they help to heal uh, not only the parent, but also the kid so that he doesn't grow up. Uh, and, and, and I just I love it, man. I think it's one of the cool. I, I wish there was more uh, organizations, but they're out, uh, they're out of Minneapolis and uh, look them up, man. They're, you know, donate to them, especially right now. They need it. And uh, there's such a need there, uh, you know, just for for that's why parents are so important in the home, you know, and sometimes they're taken out of the home for for, for reasons, you know, that might be theirs or, or whatever. It doesn't matter what, what the kid gets lost in it and ends up growing up to be bitter. And, you know, and if I never had a mentor, um, you might, you know, I had a great father, but I also had a mentor and uh, he was a he was a. Um, he was a Pentecostal preacher in the AME. He was an African Methodist Episcopal church. And he was, uh, he worked with commission and he found me when I was young, he was looking for a rapper for his gospel choir. <laughs> and he ended up mentoring me when I was 11 years old. And he, he was killed in a car accident that I was supposed to be in. And mm -hmm. I ended up being at his funeral and, and I'm still friends with his kids and his, 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 uh, his widow to this day, she just got remarried and they live in Indianapolis and the kids are, doing great. And, you know, I, I just remember at the funeral saying, man, I need to pay this back to him and be a mentor. So um, anytime I get, and I know I got kids, but, you know, even with comedy, I try to mentor and help people to give back so that people can grow in their passion, you know, instead of yeah. just being rude to people and cutting people off and yeah we'll deal with it i don't know how you get there go you know right. uh, i want to be able to, to 
to sew in. And this organization is is what it's all about, man. Not judging, uh, but just loving and and wanting wanting people to grow. And and it's just a cool organization. They help with like groceries and you know, they help they help all the way. They take their donations and really help these people transition. So. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, it sounds like an amazing organization, and I think everyone should definitely check it out. Uh, parentingwithpurpose.org. That's parentingwithpurpose.org. Uh, I want to say thank you to uh, our viewers and our listeners, and we'll say a big thank you to to Joey Aiello as well for coming by and uh, spending some time with us, telling us your story, and giving us some insights and, and uh, spotlighting uh, an amazing organization. And uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully getting together with you sometime soon ish whenever this all blows over and uh we'll, we'll yeah. see you again my, my friend all right thanks for having me man appreciate my it. pleasure and we'll talk to you soon yeah take care